You know, for a go-home show, especially a go-home show for essentially two pay-per-views, NXT left us with a lot of unanswered questions. Let's talk about it. What's going on, everybody? It's your buddy, it's your pals, Pass Phoenix, the YWC Rally Check, here with your November 20th Go Home Show to War Games, Go Home Show to Survivor Series review. And yeah, let's get the house cleaning out of the way straight away. If you're listening to this on audio, you can also find me on YouTube at Spaz Phoenix. Uh, if you're listening to me or watching me on YouTube, you can find me on Anchor, iTunes, Spotify, Google, Radio Public, Pod, or, sorry, Pocket Cast, Castro, and Overcast by searching Spaz Phoenix Podcast. We're also hoping by the end of next week to be on Breaker, CastBox, and Stitcher Radio. So we'll see how that one goes. Um... Off on, a, off on a little tangent, though, I've, I've railed a lot on, on the YouTube thing. It, it ultimately helped me make the decision to move into the podcast form that I've been doing the past couple of weeks. But it occurs to me, in amongst all the fuckery of YouTube and the fact that nobody gets my videos, nobody gets my videos in their feeds, I don't have a proper account of who my subscriptions are, but my subscriptions right now are listed, or at least publicly listed, as being two users away from 900. So if you know anybody that is interested in podcasts like this or in YouTube uh, content like this, please share it around for the sake, if nothing else, of me flipping a double bird to YouTube for at least getting me to 900 subs. You guys that have been with me for a long time know that the amount of time I've been here, 900 is just not, not an acceptable number. But that being said, I have sort of turned the corner, I have uh, turned the page, so to speak, and I am doing the, the podcast thing, so that's that's brand spanking new, and we're doing that from scratch, so please, as I say, Anchor, iTunes, Spotify, Google, Radio Public, Pocket Cast, Castro, Overcast, hopefully soon on Breaker, CastBox, and Stitcher Radio, go to any or all of those and say... Um, and put it in the search bar, Spaz Phoenix Podcast. That'd be really, really cool. And I want to send a shout out once again to Anchor. I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. They are helping me a whole lot with that. And I want to also send a shout out to Joe Cronin of The Joe Cronin Show and uh, Connor of OKFabe, who is on a little bit of a YouTube sabbatical at the moment because both of them piped up to help me with a couple of sound editing issues that I've been having with the first couple of podcasts. So huge shout out to them. Really do appreciate the help. It really does show you that not all the big YouTubers and big podcasters out there are complete dicks like JD from New York. Uh, so shout out to them. If you don't, if you don't know about either of those two guys, if you don't know about Joe Cronin show, if you don't know about OK Fave, and if you don't know about, uh, Jake DeMarco, who is known for being on the Joe Cronin show, but also has his own channel and has also been on this channel, uh, you should go check them all out. Their, uh, their Twitter ads and, uh, all the other things are in the description box down below, but let's get on to NXT. NXT for November 20th, 2019, as I said, is the go-home show for War Games and the go-home show for Survivor Series, and if there's any show that sort of had the right to be a clusterfuck, it was this show by virtue of the fact that every person on this show is looking in two directions at once. If you're Adam Cole, you gotta worry about your War Games match and your, um, your title defense on on Sunday, which we're going to talk about in a little bit. If you're any of the other champions, if you're Shayna Baszler, you got to worry about your War Games match and your match with Bailey and Becky on Sunday. Uh, and the show itself sort of has to build to War Games and build Survivor Series and have some brand uh, brand loyalty, but also keep up the rivalries within the brands. It's a very it's a very interesting 
tap dance that they're doing. And I said last week there are people out there that think that um, NXT being pulled in two directions at once is a bad thing, when I really do think it shows the strength of the show. I don't think that Raw or SmackDown or even AEW, whisper it so that people don't get mad, could do what NXT is doing right now. Now, we start in the backstage area. There's a cold open. We don't even get the uh, the Slipknot intro that we've been getting ever since they rebranded and moved to, uh, to USA Network. We instead have William Regal with a bunch of security at a back door, opening up a back door, letting somebody in, and that somebody is, of course, Becky Lynch, who makes her way from outside right to the ring. Her entrance basically started in the parking lot, which is, which is a nice, neat little touch. I like that uh, William Regal here and uh, the, commentary yeah, the commentators, I can speak, I swear, later on mentioned that we're not going to have any any um, frivolity and, and, and craziness like we've had on Raw and SmackDown. We've got the security in place. We're, we've got our doors wide open, like Triple H said on Monday, but we're going to do it in the right way. If you've got something to settle with us, you're going to settle with us in the ring. And I thought just that, I mean, even though it fell apart, as you knew it was going to, I think setting the tone like that, you know, we're not going to pretend that the opposition doesn't exist. We're going to open, uh, open the doors and welcome the opposition with open arms, but you're going to do it the right way. I thought that was a very cool thing that they set up in the first couple of seconds of this show. But that being said, Becky Lynch from the from the parking lot area through the security past William Regal into the ring with a microphone in her hand and the commentators go out of their way to remind us this is the first time Becky Lynch has been in the NXT arena in about four years. Now, I don't know how accurate that is. I don't know how, if there's been any other crossover before. I can't think off the top of my head, but it, it's a nice, neat little thing, even if it is just in storyline. Talks to the crowd, says it's been a while. It's it's been a while since I've stood in this ring in this arena. It's been a while since I was losing and you all chanted for me. You all supported me. And it's been a long time since you've seen me kick somebody's ass. But it won't be much longer. This Sunday, I got I got Baszler, I got Bailey, and Triple H put out an invitation to anybody. But let's be real, I was gonna come anyway. She starts talking a little bit of shit about Bailey. And it doesn't last too long because Bailey's not part of the segment, so it's a, get get your little dig in and move on. You know, Bailey's acting like an old woman with an old woman's haircut, and she cut up all the Bailey buddies except for the one that's holding her back. And at this particular moment in time, the childish part of me does come out because we heard something from the full sale crowd that we have not heard in a long time. Loud, enthusiastic, ravenous Sasha's ratchet chance, which made me smile a whole bunch, because I'm a terrible person, but she's worse. Um, you know, says, you know, turning her attention back to Bailey, she says, I'm sorry that you're just a champ, and I'm the champ. Shayna, Shayna herself came over to Raw a couple of weeks ago, interrupted by Shayna's gonna kill you chance, but I'm gonna show her who I am. Shayna, I'm standing in your show. I'm standing in your ring. I'm standing in your spotlight. What are you going to do about it? But it's not. It's not Shayna Baszler that comes out to answer. It's Rhea fucking Ripley. And as a wrestling fan, at this point of the show, so, uh, not Sasha Banks, thank God, Becky Lynch in the ring, Rhea Ripley's music hits, I immediately lose No Nut November because I know that we're going to get, uh, the, I can speak, I swear, Becky Lynch versus Rhea Ripley. And how fucking great is that? And Rhea Ripley walks up to her and says, basically, you know, so you're the man, like, like she does. Let's see if you've got any balls. And that's all we need. That's all we need. Quite simple. Step up, step to the point. And we got Ripley versus Lynch, collar and elbow tap and a side headlock by Ripley, a fall, flying shoulder tackle by Lynch, which looked a bit awkward, I'm not going to lie. 
uh, took a second for me to see what she was going for because it does look like she fell a little bit short and tried to recover. Uh, I, I like Becky Lynch, but if I see something, I'm going to say something. She face plants on the apron by Ripley. She almost does a um, hardcore Holly style inverted Alabama slam to the apron, which looks really, really bad in the commentary as they do, as they've been doing since good old Taz was there, reminds us that the apron is the hardest part of the ring. Body shots by Ripley and a knockdown and a snake eyes. Reversal by Lynch. Reversal by Ripley and a mud hole stomp. Cravat with the high knees by Ripley. And I'm sorry, you get somebody like Rhea Ripley. I love Becky Lynch. I know a lot of people think that the uh, the shine is coming off her star. I couldn't disagree more, especially when you consider that Seth Rollins, her significant other, is making an absolute tit of himself and trying to step to CM Punk on Twitter. That's an entirely other conversation, isn't it? But I like Becky Lynch, but Rhea Ripley, the size, the strength advantage that she has and the dominant sort of presence that she has, put her in the cravat, hitting her with those high knees just looks like she's being taken to school. And, and I said it on Twitter, I've said it on Twitter a million times before, Rhea Ripley is a fucking star. As much as it's terrifying for us to lose NXT or NXT UK talent to the main roster, Rhea Ripley is a fucking star. And it makes you wish that the main roster wasn't such a curse. Anyways, um, the forearms and the chops by Ripley followed by a grounded headlock, super kick by Lynch, drop kick by Ripley. Both men, or sorry, both women trade some punches. There's a series of kicks by Lynch, a toss from the top rope by Ripley, a DDT by Lynch. They trade some strikes on their knees. There's a pop-up slam by Ripley, plants her face first, uh, and it just it just looks really messy. She kind of lands with a bit of a splat, which is awesome. Insiguri by Lynch, a second rope leg drop. Disarm her is reversed into a power bomb, and the way Ripley tried to sell it like it was like it was a big effort on her part, but you couldn't really help but notice that it was kind of effortless because she's a fucking machine. Uh, superplex by Ripley, and the horsewomen come down to stop the match, and it's a three on two beatdown. But even though it's a three on two beatdown, Lynch and Ripley get the the upper hand once again. They're telling two stories at once here, once here, which is fucking amazing. You've got Baszler taking out Becky, who she's going to be taking on on Sunday. Baszler taking out the captain of her opposing team on Saturday, and it's all good, but because it's just her and her lackeys, not her and two other fully fleshed out characters, the fact that Ripley, or sorry, yeah, the fact that Ripley and, and uh, Becky Lynch stand tall at the end is okay, because essentially, Ripley and Becky chased away Baszler, and, and her lackeys just went in tow. If, it, if you had any doubt the fact that NXT just treat Marina Shafir and Jessamyn Duke as lackeys, they're not even on uh, Baszler's War Games team. Like, that's, that's really... And I, and I don't think they should be. I mean, you got people like Shirai on there, you've got uh, Kaylee Ray, who we're going to talk about later on, and even Bianca Belair, who I have my issues with. Uh, I could never come up here and make a case for you that Marina Shafir and Jessamyn Duke should be there instead. I mean, the only way I would say that is if, for some ungodly reason, Ronda Rousey came down to NXT and you wanted to make it like the Undisputed Era is a whole faction as a whole team, and if you want to do the MMA Four Horsewomen as a whole team, that would be an entirely different story, but that's the only story that would justify those two being in there over the women that are in there. Now, I will say that maybe swap out Candice LeRae for Dakota Kai on the other team, but that's just... 
that's just a personal thing on my part, but this is a great way to start the show. Uh, decent little match, fantasy fantasy booking match. Uh, if I was if I was throwing it together, but it managed to, like I say, it managed to serve a whole lot of masters at once. It's the first shot of the invasion of full sale by um, by a main roster superstar. You got to see Lynch versus Ripley, which was great. You got to f uh, feed into both stories that Baszler has to deal with this coming weekend. It, it served a lot of masters, and it's really good. And it kept into focus the fact that NXT is basically kicking everybody's ass as far as their women's division goes. They're kicking Raw's ass, they're kicking SmackDown's ass, and they're kicking Dynamite's ass. I hate to tell you. In the back, we see Re Revival arrive, because words are hard, uh, and they're met with security. They're escorted into the building um, much the same way Becky was. We see a video package on Kaylee Ray, who is the NXT UK Women's Champion. I like her. I haven't watched NXT UK in a long time. That's why you haven't gotten a review of NXT UK from me in a long time. If you're listening to this in audio form, in podcast form, or whatever, I used to review NXT UK, and then there just got to be too much wrestling. Uh, but she's really good, and the fact that they've introduced her onto the Baszler team for War Games, it's really, really cool, because NXT has two women's champions, and they're both on the heel side of that war games uh, match and it really gives you the underdog feeling for the babyface team even though the babyface team is led by fucking Rhea Ripley it's very very cool and the video packages are what they are WWE is very very good with their video packages and uh, I'm not gonna tell you anything about Kaylee Ray that you don't already know or don't care about so we're gonna move on we're gonna get Kona Reeves versus Matt Riddle, except no we're not because Kona Reeves is coming down to the ringside area. Ricochet jumps out of the crowd and kicks him in the head, kicks his head into the ring post, incapacitates him and stands in the ring and waits for Matt Riddle. So we get instead Ricochet versus Matt Riddle. Again, not as much as the Becky and Ripley match that we got in the first place, but still, who would have predicted that other than Triple H who's writing the show? Obviously, I get it. But it becomes an impromptu match, and even the referee is sort of selling it like, hey, you want to do this? You want to do this? I, I guess we were scheduled to have a match here, and, and Kona Reeves can't fight because he just had his head implanted into a metal uh, turnbuckle post. So we're going to do Ricochet versus Riddle for reasons. Head scissor by Riddle on Ricochet and a suicide sent on to the outside. Running star press gets countered into a triangle choke by Riddle, a broton by Riddle, corner forearms and chops, suplex and a neckbreaker and a running star press by Ricochet. They trade some elbows, they trade some knee strikes, they trade some insiguries, a German suplex by Riddle. Cesaro and Nakamura show up on either side of the ring and this is where the layers of story get really, really good because Cesaro and Nakamura are both from SmackDown. You got an NXT guy and a Raw guy in the ring. Riddle takes advantage of the distraction to get the win but they managed to team up when Cesaro and Nakamura come in for the beatdown. Ricochet, um, Ricochet and Matt Riddle managed to stand tall against the, you know, the invading NXT stars on the match with the Raw guy that was already invading. Ricochet, however, and I, and I, I think he did it to Nakamura, but the, the move is more important than who received it. Ricochet hit a running sort of crossbody out of the ring, past the ringside area, into the crowd, over the guardrail, and it was very, very reminiscent of his rivalry in NXT with Velveteen Dream, where he was in the ring and he did that running, jumping flip and landed on the ramp face-to-face -face with Velveteen Dream. It was a very, very cool spot, um, if nothing else, that it gave me that little retro feeling, it gave me that little, oh yeah, I remember when he was in NXT all doing this cool shit all the time, and it was really good. Now this, I will say, does bring up the point of most of the invaders tonight aren't really invaders, they're just people having their, their NXT homecoming. 
uh, which is a weird thing because we have to force this 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 false narrative of oh they're on another brand now so we don't like them the NXT crowd didn't really know what to do because they wanted to pop for Becky Lynch but at the same time they wanted to be loyal to NXT so they wanted to boo her so they cheered for Rhea Ripley who they would cheer for anyway but if you didn't have this rivalry situation going on or this this fake put upon one week rivalry between the brands uh, going on, then I think Becky would have gotten a far different reaction. And the same thing for Ricochet. Um, if Ricochet just came back for a night, he'd get a huge, huge pop. I mean, uh, look at all the other people that have done it. I mean, uh, Drew Gulak came over from 205 Live. Apollo Crews came back for a night. Uh, Finn Balor, when he made his actual return to the NXT roster, got a tremendous pop. But because it gets very, very muddied with this with this uh, false rivalry narrative, it, it the crowd doesn't know what to do, and as you're watching as a fan, uh, you're kind of left at a lurch as to what to do either. It doesn't end there, though, because Roderick Strong comes in to take a cheap shot at Nakamura, telling an entirely different story of the mid-card champions that are going to fight at Survivor Series, and Balor rushes the ring to brawl with Riddle because they have a fight at War Games. It's all good. Riddle finish it, finishes everything off with a final flash knee. Uh, Balor takes a bail because he's a heel now and uh, slowly makes his way up the ramp and at the end of all of that Matt Riddle is standing tall he was supposed to fight uh, against Kona Reeves he ended up having a match with Riddle he ended up fighting off some guys from Smackdown he fought off Balor he stood tall it built everything and this is why I say this is not a detriment to NXT. They can layer these stories, and they're really, really fucking good at it. Revival versus the Undisputed Era. Would you like some old-school pro-wrestling tag team action? O'Reilly and Dawson start. There's a collar and elbow type, and there's a lot of notes here, so you guys are really going to have to bear with me more than you usually do. I really do appreciate it. Uh, there's a quick collar and elbow tie-up and a cheap shot by O'Reilly, bringing all four guys into the ring. Fish and Dash uh, become the legal men. Both men, they trade some kicks, they double-team, there's some double-teaming by Undisputed Era, there's some double-teaming by The Revival. All four men get suplexed to the outside in this weird sort of mirror image spot that was really, really good. Um, body shots in the corner by Fish and Mudhole stomp twice by The Undisputed Era, double suplex by Fish and O'Reilly. There's a lot of chain wrestling and they go on these extended these extended stretches of like the strikes from O'Reilly and Fish because these are the guys that have the MMA background and they're the ones that are the champions going into the triple threat tag team championship match at uh, at Survivor Series. These are the ones that need to be put over even though the Revival look more at home in NXT than they have in a long ass time. Power slam by Dash is a head scissor by Dash and a non-stop jabs to the body by Dawson. Kicks by Fish, back elbow by Dawson, top rope headbutt by Dawson, which leads the crowd into a tag team wrestling chant. Now, I didn't like all the propaganda behind the Evolution pay-per-view. I didn't really like all the propaganda behind the all-women's main event of WrestleMania, even though that ended up being a really cool main event. But when you started doing shit like this, and for a little while there you had it where the crowd would chant for women's wrestling, because it's it was what was being shoved down their throats, but it was also what was legitimately getting better in the company, this is what the thing is here. Now, I've said for a while, as far as, as, far as the Wednesday Night Wars go, that NXT has the lock on women's wrestling. They're better than AEW and they're better than their main roster counterparts. But I have also said AEW has the lock on tag team wrestling, the Young Bucks and, and Lucha Brothers, etc. So to have a tag team wrestling chant ring out in full sale, 
gives me a really, really good feeling as a wrestling fan. There's a cheap shot by Wilder, Brain Buster by Dawson, Double Knees in the Corner by The Revival, Cheap Shots by Dawson, and Say It Loud, Say It Proud, the Daniel Bryan Silly Kicks from O'Reilly on the outside, Suplex by Dawson, Splash by, Splash by Dash. I look at that, and I know what it says, it rhymes, whatever, but because it rhymes, because it sounds silly, I don't think it's what it actually is, but it is a Splash by Dash. Samoan Drop by Fish, a Shatter Machine by The Revival, Dash Eats the Post on the outside, Cannonball Knee by O'Reilly, Top Rope Knee Drop to the Spine by O'Reilly, which just, <coughs> I know they know what they're doing, and I know nobody's getting hurt, but the way he took it, because he wasn't flat on his belly, he was just a little bit up, like, in that process of, of trying to get up off the mat when O'Reilly came down. And O'Reilly's kind of a wiry guy, so you think of him as being extra bony. I don't know why I'm slapping my elbow when I'm talking about a knee drop, but that's besides the point. And it just, it was just a, a dirty-looking little spot, and it was really nice. DDT by Dawson and a high-low by the Undisputed Era. Get the win for the Undisputed Era. Now... It does, it does tear me in half a little bit, because I do like the Revival. They're not getting near what they deserve on the main roster. I would love, as I say, in any other circumstance, for them to have a nice, successful homecoming in NXT. But they are the invading force in here. They are not the champions. They are not the champions that are going on to Survivor Series. So Undisputed Era needed to get the win here. It's fine. I just, you know, give Revival the Finn Balor treatment and let him let them come back down and, and do some shit. Forgotten Sons and the Viking Raiders have a brawl in the park or not a brawl, but sort of some some heavy aggressive words in the parking lot. We see that for a couple of seconds. And then we get a war games package for the women's war games match. And let me just say, I don't have anything against Poppy, the the artist that's done a whole bunch of stuff for NXT, the one that played uh Io Shirai to the ring a couple weeks ago. But they really love Poppy, don't they? And they're using Poppy for a lot of shit. And I used to give NXT a lot of credit with their musical choices because they were the ones giving us actual, like, hard, aggressive music for a hard, aggressive show uh, in contrast to the poppy, sort of rappy crap that we get on the main roster. But if we get into this groove where they've just decided on a band that they like and that's just where they're going to stick, my, uh, my thoughts on that are going to change. And they're going to change to a, come on, uh, you don't need to be this predictable, I guess. I need you to be a little bit more spontaneous because it's one of the things that sets you apart as a brand other than, you know, just generally not sucking and not having people coming out in, in dog costumes and, and cucking stories with Rusev, etc. But that doesn't mean it was bad because it was interspersed with all the footage of all the different women that have come together to make these two teams. It's interspersed with footage of Poppy performing <laughs> at Full Sail, which is kind of nice, and it's obviously interspersed with a bunch of uh, promo work and storytelling and, and all, the, all the things that WWE is good at as far as storytelling and video packages and whatever. Now, speaking of the War Games match, you've got Kaylee Ray taking on Dakota Kai, and I really don't like the fact because I'm a big fan of Dakota Kai. You guys know, I've said it for a long time, Dakota Kai is Bailey done properly, or what Bailey used to be done properly. And I think they purposely left her off the babyface team so that every heel that needs to look strong going into it can beat the fuck out of her and it doesn't affect the match on Saturday. And that's not that's not cool. I um I think I don't know what I think, but I, I it's it's a it's a shitty sort of bookmark space that they've put her in right now. And I really like Dakota Kai and I want better things for her than this. If Shayna Baszler wasn't the, if anybody else other than Shayna Baszler was the champion, I would say Dakota Kai should be the number one contender. But right now, as Shayna Baszler still is the champion, she's she's gonna die if she faces Shayna Baszler. It's just a thing. But uh 
Kaylee Ray's a lot of fun. Kaylee Ray's kind of bitchy. Uh, she's got a little bit of an attitude to her that I really like. As I say, um, she came up in a time where I was still reviewing NXT UK, and the main story there was Baszler, or not Baszler, uh, Ripley and Storm. And Ripley and Storm are bigger stars, bigger um, star presences than Kaylee Ray is. And I think if if not for her being there at the same time as the two of them, she could have been the leader of that division. Now with Ripley coming over, and I'm not sure what Tony Storm is doing, I really need to get caught up on that. Um, it seems like she's still got the title, clearly, and uh, I'm happy for her. It's, it's a really cool thing. I like to also see her because... How can I say this? I'm going off on a tangent. Once again, you'll have to excuse me. New listeners to, uh, to me on a podcast forum... I go into tangents, so I hope you guys are getting used to that. Um, we used to say, you know, coming up to the main roster, coming up to Raw, coming up to SmackDown, and then slowly coming up to Raw, coming up to SmackDown was like a downgrade because you really like what they were able to do in NXT. The true coming up right now, and uh, Ripley is the example, Pete Dunne is the example, uh, the, the true coming up is from NXT UK to NXT proper. And I think if they're going to do that with Kaylee Ray after she drops the title, that's 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 a good fit. Anyways, huge forearms to start by Kai and a quick pin attempt. Kai takes Ray against the post a couple of times, really really aggressively, which you don't expect from her because she's the smiley happy baby face. Super kicks from Ray, mud hole stomp by Ray, and a vertical suplex, a roll up by Kai, a face first suplex by Ray, who stands on the bad knee, and it's. It does something and it doesn't do something because she's got the knee brace on. We know the story of her. It's not as as in our face as the story that we got with Tegan Knox, who's got like both knees fucked up. But we know she was away. We know she had knee injuries, etc. We know she's got a big brace because she's got a, a fucked up knee. But at the same time, she, you know that she's standing on a piece of metal. She's not standing on the knee. If anything, you would, I would think personally, and this is only my opinion, you would want to go for the unbraced knee. And I'll tell you why. When I was younger. I had a really bad fall on a dance floor. Don't worry about picturing me on a dance floor. That's an entirely separate thing. But I fucked up my knee really bad. I didn't tear anything completely. It was like within a couple inches of something being torn, but it was just badly, badly strained. Uh, I got over it eventually, and what ended up happening was the opposite knee was was the one that hurt more because because I had been babying the bad knee so much the other knee had taken up all the work uh, all of supporting me supporting my my body etc and I'm not a small dude either let's be real uh, I really think the cool story here would have been okay Dakota Kai's had all this work done on this knee that's all braced and whatever how much extra work has her other knee done would it not be the more vulnerable one I think that would have been a cooler story to tell and it wouldn't have been Kaylee Ray just standing on a piece of metal I get the story that they're trying to tell because Dakota Kai would obviously be thinking about her previously injured knee but why would you not go for the knee that she's not even thinking about that plays an entirely different psychological game, and I think they kind of missed a trick by not doing that, but that's just me. Ray works the knee around the post after she's done standing on it, and there's a double stomp by Kai, a clothesline, a drop kick to the face by Kai, Ray eats the steps on the outside, and then eats a haluva kick, caught her head between the post and Dakota Kai's foot, which is wonderful. Uh, super kick by Ray and a gory bomb does get the win for Kaylee Ray, again, for a couple of reasons. She has her first proper NXT pay-per-view appearance this coming Saturday. She is in a War Games match, and she is the one that's got a belt around her waist at the moment. As much as I hate to say it, as much as I'm a huge Dakota Kai fan, and I want to see good things for her, she needed to win <coughs> this match, especially for people that haven't seen her on NXT UK and wanted to know what she could do. Now, 
Carmella, Dana Brooke, Mandy Rose, Sonya Deville, they all come into the ring and they all start feuding with Kaylee Ray and with Dakota Kai, who bond together as NXT people to fight off the SmackDown invasion. And then more people come in and people from all the rosters come in. And it's all just a bit of a mess. And I would love to just come here and write that it was all just a bit of a mess and then we went on to the next segment. But then, then... You see a big red flash in the one corner, and it's Kyrie Sane with her bright red raw shirt and her bright red raw hat hitting the insane elbow on the whole crowd and taking everybody out, which is great because first she got the pop for the return, but then everybody sort of spread out like the seas parted, you know, as as lame as that expression is, and it was her face to face with her old Sky Pirates partner Io Shirai and that was a cool moment because it sent my fantasy booking brain because you guys know it's always on into a myriad of, of booking scenarios now follow me on this for a second Asuka in NXT was one of the biggest baby faces they had Kyrie Sane wins the Mae Young Classic comes to NXT just after Oscar. She's one of the biggest, most lovable baby faces ever. Io Shirai comes in and she's Kyrie Sane's friend and they're baby faces. They form a team and they're a baby face tag team and all that. Oscar goes to the main roster. Kyrie Sane eventually goes to the main roster as well. Kyrie Sane joins Asuka in a tag team. They make the Kabuki Warriors and it's totally bad and terrible and racist because they just shoved them together because they're Japanese even though that's what the Sky Pirates were as well. But now... Asuka and Kairi Sane collectively turn heel. Io Shirai, left behind in NXT, also turns heel. Whatever the next takeover is, I don't care whether it's NXT TakeOver Afghanistan, main event, these three women in their current awesome heel forms, triple threat match, you don't need any titles on the line, whatever, just give me heel Asuka versus heel Kyrie Sane versus the current iteration of heel Io Shirai that we have in NXT right now, and that could main event any pay-per-view. It's not going to happen, of course, because we can't have nice things, but um, it was a really cool thing, and all that came from just a brief face-to-face -face between Shirai and Sane that I thought was really cool. And then we end off this segment with Nikki Cross rushing the ring with a trash can lid and chasing off literally everybody. And I love fucking Nikki Cross. So that was cool too. The Viking Raiders took on the Forgotten Sons. And as much as I love NXT, and as much as I don't want to shrug off something that NXT did, and as much as I don't want to shrug off another cool return, I could not be paid to give a crap about this match because the Forgotten Sons... They, they make a little bit of leeway with me, and then they fall off. And then they make a little leeway with me, and then they fall off. And it was just... The Viking Raiders do some impressive stuff for being big guys. They really do. And I, and I want to be able to come up here and tell you that they came in, and they had an awesome match, and they really, really blew the roof off the place. But they didn't... The Viking Raiders did Viking Raider stuff, and the Forgotten Sons were very forgettable to steal a Michael Hamlet joke. Uh, I will say... The Suns managed to get Hansen up for that powerbomb knee strike thing that they do, and that was their big feat of strength for the match. Also, there was an apron Death Valley driver by Cutler on Roe, I think. I'm going to call them Roe and Hansen because they're back in NXT and names are different and all that sort of thing. Those were, some, those were some impressive spots, but they weren't enough to make me care about the match. It wasn't even enough to make me pick up my pen and, and write about it. And I hate saying that about NXT. And this went on for a long time for a match that I didn't care about. Um, I hate saying that, but if I'm going to be the NXT shill that I'm, I'm accused of being, I'm going to tell you when they give me something I don't care about either, which isn't very often. Um, 
Cole versus Dijak in a ladder match, and it's virtually the same thing that we did last week with Shirai and Mia Yim. They're going for the, um, what do you call it, the War Games advantage, uh, you know, which team is going to get the, the two-on-one and the three-on-two and the four-on-three uh, throughout the War Games match, which it, it, I hate it in a way because NXT doesn't treat its fans like idiots like the main roster does. We know that it's going to be the heel team. There's no good story to tell with the baby faces having the advantage all the way through. So you know what the, the result is going to be. They managed to do it a really cool way last week. Mia Yim busts her face open, falls through a ladder, and then we get the introduction of Kaylee Ray. It's all good. Um, but you knew Io Shirai was going to win. You knew, you knew Adam Cole was going to win here too. And Dijak is is quickly rising up uh, in opinion. He's not quite at the same spot with me as the Forgotten Sons are. I know he's an impressive dude. I know he's a fantastic athlete. And I know the series that he had with Keith Lee and eventually including Roderick Strong at the end was awesome. I just, I don't know what his character is. And that makes it difficult to enjoy him. And I did enjoy him in this match because he had Adam Cole to bounce off of. And Adam Cole can basically do anything. And he's been the one... Leading into Survivor Series, I said I was saying for a while there, and I said it again, I think last week, that Finn Balor is the most interesting person in WWE right now with how his character could go, where his allegiances could go. Is he going to join the Undisputed Era? Is he going to hook up with the guys in the club and, and help them out? Is he going to go on his own? Is he going to fuck over NXT? Is he going to fuck with the main roster? Um... His story is wide open, which makes him the most enter entertaining or, or maybe interesting or maybe explosive character that they've got right now. But I think Adam Cole has been the workhorse of this entire angle. He started that Friday where everybody else was stuck in Saudi, and he had that great match with with uh, Daniel Bryan. And if you hear, I, I've been listening to the Corey Graves podcast. I'm not catching it as it's coming out, but I am catching it bit by bit. And he was, in, he was interviewing Adam Cole, and he talked about you know, sort of showing up to the building five minutes before they went on the air, and, you know, he got off the plane, and then two hours later, he was in a main event of SmackDown with Daniel Bryan, this guy that he's looked up to and whatever, but he did that, and then he went on to face, uh, who was it, Seth Rollins, and then he went, came back to NXT to start building for War Games, and now he's finding out that he's going to defend his title at Survivor Series against somebody, um... I think the guy that's put the work in to put this entire Survivor Series weekend together, pretty much, other than the women of NXT, the, the women's division of NXT, and because they deserve an entirely different level of praise for what they've been doing right now. But I think the workhorse of putting the the rivalry story together, the workhorse of putting the war game story together, is Adam Cole, and um, he he's. He's the next Shawn Michaels. He credits Shawn Michaels. He's he's very thankful to Shawn Michaels for all the help that he's given him down in uh, down in the performance center and whatnot. Talks about you know hey you know you have a match on your first ever match on SmackDown and then you get a text and a pep talk from Shawn fucking Michaels. It's it's a pretty big deal. But you can see Shawn Michaels in Adam Cole, and and the amount of appreciation I've gotten for him for a guy that I didn't know until that he was in NXT is is through the roof. And I think at the end of the day. You're gonna get a lot of really, really cool stories to come out of this. We're getting, you know, we're getting Daniel Bryan versus the Fiend, and, and they're gonna do all kinds of crazy shit. And oh my God, Triple H is gonna put himself in a match, and all this other shit. And you know, CM Punk is back, and I think Lost in the Shuffle is going to be the guy that put this weekend together. And in my personal opinion, I think that's Adam Cole. Anyways, Cole versus Dijak in a ladder match for the War Games advantage. As I go off on another tangent. 
Running forearm from Cole to start and clubs to the back by Dijak. They trade some strikes. There's a clothesline by Dijak as he grabs for the first ladder of the match. Cole drop kicks the ladder into Dijak. Dijak boots the ladder into Cole and then slams him on it because that's what you do in a ladder match. If you're listening to this in a podcast form, I know that's really noisy and whatever. I'm just pulling random sheets of note paper off the Doomy Clipboard of Doom. And if you don't know what the Doomy Clipboard of Doom is, come over, find me on YouTube, Spaz Phoenix, watch the video. You can see me looking like a goof and throwing paper around. Moving on, Dijak hits an Irish whip into the ladder, forearm shot by Cole. Cole super kicks him in the back of the knee, which was a nice looking spot. It was one of those spots. It was like the elbow drop to the back earlier in the night in the tag team match. It it wasn't incredible. It wasn't it wasn't earth shattering. It was just one of those things that you watch and you're like, oh, because we can all imagine. You know, we all have that friend who thinks it's funny to come up behind you and step on the back of your knee because it sort of forces you to to cringe one way or the other. When it's something you know, it's it's just it's different. I can't put words to it. But he steps on the back of his knee, and then he works it into the post, which makes sense, because he's like three feet taller than him or whatever. Cole gets up onto one ladder, super kicks, and then attacks him with the other ladder. They fight over a ladder, there's an Ushigoroshi by Cole, there's a choke slam onto a prop ladder by Dijak, and then there's this weird friggin' thing where Dijak tries to go for the feast your eyes, but instead Cole manages to wiggle off his shoulders onto the ladder to try and go up, and instead, Dijak grabs him, but he flips over into the Panama Sunrise, off the ladder, onto a guy the size of Dijak, which is absolutely insane. Dijak successfully hits the Feast Your Eyes, but sells the knee in the process. He hurts his own knee with how hard he hits Adam Cole in the face. That's an awesome story. That's an awesome little tidbit in a match. This is where Dijak is building himself up in my personal opinion, more than more than an act like the Forgotten Sons. Dijak climbs the ladder with one leg, and Adam Cole catches up with him, hits him in the face with the briefcase, because they're using the briefcase sort of as symbolism. Dijak falls, he falls through another ladder. Cole goes up, gets the briefcase, gets the win. Now, here we go. It's a WWE show. We're going into Survivor Series. It's the Battle of the Brands, so we have to have a brawl to end the show, don't we? Fish, Strong, O'Reilly start making their way down the ramp to celebrate with Adam Cole, and they're cut off by some SmackDown guys that block their way to the ring, and they're cut off by a bunch of Raw guys that trap them behind so they can't escape from the ramp either. Everybody brawls, and in the and in the distraction of the brawl, Drew McIntyre, of all people, comes out, hits the Claymore on Dijak, which is great, and then he gets taken out by Keith Lee. Keith Lee and... I don't know what his new name is in the Viking Raiders, but he used to be Warbeard Hansen. Keith Lee and Warbeard Hansen are about to face each other in the ring because they're the two biggest guys in the brawl, but instead they sort of nod at each other and smile, and they both suicide dive to the outside and land on everybody else, and it's spectacular. Big guys doing little guys stuff, I think, is one of my new favorite things in wrestling. Cole stands tall in the ring laughing at everybody else as they brawl on the outside, but he eats a super kick from Seth fucking Rollins and the reaction to Rollins in full sale is so mixed because people knee-jerk reaction people want to pop for another guy showing up from the main roster on NXT another big name another big name that's going to get the show attention they want to pop for ultimately a guy that was absolutely beloved in his own time in NXT. Go back a couple of weeks to Raw to when Triple H was talking about Seth Rollins' time in NXT. We love this guy. This is the guy that beat 
well, of all people, Jinder Mahal, to become the first ever NXT champion. This is the guy that when CM Punk went to visit NXT, had a stare down with Punk that had people talking at the time and not talking now because Seth Rollins is being a goofball on Twitter to CM Punk after CM Punk debuted on backstage. It was an entirely different time, but it could still be a thing, whatever. There, the, the mix between genuine boos of how we feel about Seth Rollins right now and the initial knee-jerk pop of Full Sail was such an interesting sound and it was very... The, you could feel the conflict in the crowd, and I don't have any other way to describe it than that. But he super kicks Cole out of the ring. Cole rolls out of the ring on the ramp side. But then Rollins, standing tall in his bright red, of course, because he's got to do the rah-rah thing, and that's another story altogether. But whose music hits last? It's fucking Tommaso Ciampa. And Ciampa makes his way to the ring, almost gets in the ring, sees Cole on the ground, knees him in the face just for good measure, then makes his way into the ring, stares down Rollins, the whole world, myself included, has a holy fuck what is this gonna be moment, because you gotta believe that Ciampa's gonna be on the NXT team, uh, we're gonna get to that in a second, but the, there wasn't even a conclusion. The, the show faded to black, pun intended, with these two just throwing hands at each other. And that's fucking wonderful. As much as people hate Seth Rollins right now, if you say on any show that the main event is going to be Tommaso Ciampa versus Seth Rollins, people will buy that shit. That is money. This, this show, and I know, I know, I'm, I'm the shill for NXT. I am the, I am the Canadian Michael Hamlet. I get it. But this show juggled two jobs tonight that nobody thought it could do, and I thought they did a really fucking good job. Now, it sold Survivor Series. It sold War Games. What it didn't do, we still don't know who the last member of Tommaso Ciampa's team is. Okay? We don't know in the five-on-five-on-five -on -five -on -five matches on Survivor Series who the men's team is or who the women's team is. So... As much as I love the intrigue of that, as much as the fan in me wants to say, yeah, good for you, NXT, keep them guessing. Keep them guessing until the night, and then throw them every big bullet you have on Sunday night. That doesn't do me any good right now here as a YouTube slash podcast content creator to tell you about what's going to happen this weekend. It's... Um, it's a very selfish little nitpick because, as I say, I do love it in, in a certain way. The, the intrigue of, we're not going to tell you, you'll have to show up on Sunday and find out. I do love that. I don't know who's going to be the fourth member of Team Ciampa because it was supposed to be Riddle and then Gargano got injured, which is incredibly unfortunate. I'm thinking it might be Velveteen Dream. That's just fine. They could do some sort of scenario where whichever teams win their respective War Games match go on to Survivor Series and then... That could be a thing, but then we know if they did that, you, you could play out a thing. Sorry, I'm, put, I'm putting a thought together as I'm recording here. You could do a thing where, okay, here's the War Games match. There's four on four. The winning team gets to pick one extra person and go on to Survivor Series the next night. But if they do that, then you'll know that the Undisputed Era is going to lose because Adam Cole has his own match, Roderick Strong has his own match, and uh, the other two have their own tag team match. If they do that... With the women, you know that the babyfaces are going to win that because Shayna Baszler's got to go on to face Bailey and Becky. So it's not that great, but it, it, it could be really good. And as much as 
as much as the missing bits of information frustrate me right now, they're the same missing bits of information, the same surprise bits of information that are going to make me really, really excited on the night. So I don't know what else to tell you. This show was great. This show served all of its purposes. Now, somebody's going to come along and say, oh, all these matches with all these run-ins and all these non-finishes, whatever. And in any other show, in any other scenario, at any other time of the year, in any other context, I would agree with you. This many run-ins, this many non-finishes, this many however you want to say it, fuck finishes would make absolutely no sense this many like generic brawl number fives would make no sense because of what is happening this weekend this is the week you're allowed to do it this is the week you should do it and this is the week that they did do it and you can't really ask for anything else and yes i know i'm going to turn off this camera turn off this recording i'm going to flip over there to my tv and i'm going to watch john moxley versus darby allen but you know what they got something to measure up to. I know Wednesday Night War patter is getting old. But I'm the NXT guy. I'm Spaz Phoenix, your YWC reality check. Subscribe up there. Talk down there. Start a conversation. Keep all these conversations going. Don't be a stranger. I will talk to each and every last one of you later. But for right now, I am tagging out. Have a good weekend, guys. Don't shine,